Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. So let me start you off on this Monday by asking, like what I normally ask you on Monday, how y'all living? How was your weekend? Anything different or interesting go down for you this past weekend? Did you do or maybe see or maybe experience something that you did not expect to see? I did. Unfortunately, more on that later. But I think we all did, right? Of course, I'm talking about St. Peter's beating Purdue to advance to the Elite Eight. And now we've got a Final Four with UNC Duke. Both those things, right? Both those things, pretty insane. And you know I want to start right there, right? After all, it is a sports talk show. They pay me to talk sports, right? Those are amazing things, right? And not only do we have our Final Four, but it's now blue as hell. That's right. I mean, no brainer. This is where we have to start. Unless, unless something so insane, so surreal, so whack, so crazy, if something like that happens and it supersedes the Final Four, then I got to go there. But what would it be? What would be so insane and so whack and so surreal that it would get top billing on the Monday after the Final Four is set? Well, you know where I'm going. The Oscars. It's unavoidable. I mean, first, you have Tom Brady hijacks Selection Sunday, and then Will Smith hijacks the Final Four matchups. Like, the tourney is still the greatest event in all of sports, and it's proved it once again this time around. But folks can't stop jacking with it. First Brady, and now Will Smith. Of course, what I want to get into is not the first weird thing that happened during the Oscars, right? I mean, the weird thing would be, because it happens all the time, something weird always happens. The weird thing would be if something weird didn't happen. As an example, Who will ever forget this moment? There will always be a special place in my heart for the movie musical and for the songs that create their most memorable moments. Here to perform the Oscar-nominated, gorgeously empowering song, Let It Go, from the Oscar-winning animated movie, Frozen, please welcome the wickedly talented one and only Adele Dazim. So you remember that, right? Who will ever forget John Travolta dropping some incomprehensible gibberish about the wickedly talented one and only Adele Dazim? Adele Dazim. I mean, we all will always remember how weird and awkward, awkward. and cringy that felt. And by weird, awkward, and cringy, I mean awesome. Right? Great moment. Or how about the time that this went down? And the Academy Award... For best picture. You're awesome. <laughs> La La Land. Great, thank you. Thank you all. Um, thank you to the Academy. Thank you to Lionsgate. Thank you to our incredible cast and crew. We're all up here right now. We lost, by the way, but, you know. Guys, guys, I'm sorry. No, there's a, there's a mistake. Moonlight, you guys won best picture. Moonlight won. Come on, this is not a joke. This is not a joke. I'm afraid they read the wrong thing. This is not a joke. Moonlight has won Best Picture. I mean, <laughs> it may not have been a joke, but it was pretty freaking hilarious. 
except to the losers who thought they won. Anyway, crazy moments, right? But they're all getting secretariat, secretariated by what happened last night. John Travolta and Moonlight are getting absolutely lapped by this. Jada, I love you. G.I. Jane 2, can't wait to see it. All right? (laughs) 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 It's that was a that was a nice one. Okay. I'm out here. Uh Uh-oh, Richard. Will Smith just smacked the shit out of me. I mean, you want to talk about a holy bleep moment. You want to talk about a moment that you never saw coming. That was it. That was a did what I just saw with my own two eyes actually go down. Did Will Smith actually rush the stage to give Chris Rock them hand? Did that just happen? Did that really just happen? Did Will Smith go on to stage and hit Chris Rock in the face? I mean, did any gambling house have that as a prop bet? Because right about now, you can bet on essentially anything at all. Like a neighborhood card game somewhere. You can bet on anything. Some gambling house must have had a prop bet on Will Smith snapping on Chris Rock, bum-rushing the stage, and then punching him in the face. The only thing more insane than that happening is that I don't think anybody had a line on it happening. Like, I know it happened. I saw that it happened, and I'm still having kind of a hard time believing that it happened. One of the most famous people on the planet rolled up on the stage, which just so happens to be one of the biggest stages ever, on live television, and slapped another one of the most famous people on the planet in the face. And not only did security not rush in and drag this dude out of there, Smith just casually returned to his seat and then shouted this back. Keep my wife's name out your mouth. Wow, dude. Yes. It was a G.I. Jane jump. Keep my wife's name out your mouth. I'm going to, okay? <laughs> I can, oh, okay. That was the greatest night in the history of television. Okay. <laughs> okay. So we are here to uh, give a documentary out, to give an Oscar out. How about this dude? Just kind of rolling with it, right? Like, I understand why people thought that was staged. It was that wild. It was that wild. And where the hell was security when it happened? I would love to know what was going on in the control room backstage when that all went down. Because there had to have been a debate about what to do with Will. I mean, do we just let him hang out? Do we let him hit a presenter in the face and then go right back to his seat like it didn't happen? Do we ask him to leave? But wait, if we ask this guy to leave, he's the favorite to win Best Actor. What do we do? And apparently they decided to do nothing. Somebody from the crowd smacked a presenter. It's bleeping Hollywood, yo. This show must go on. So think about Will. Think about the half hour that guy had. A guy makes a joke about your wife initially you're laughing at the joke then you go on stage to give him the hand then you f-bomb him when you get back to your seat and then you're in tears moments later after winning the academy award from hitting a comedian in the face to reaching the pinnacle of your acting career and taking your place amongst the legends all of that like in a half hour hey listen and that thing about him initially laughing at the joke to me that's not a small thing 
right? If that joke was a reason to go, why was he laughing at it when he heard it? Things that crack you up generally are not on our universal list of reasons to go. Like if the guy was that offended about what Rock said about his wife, why was he laughing at it? And if Rock did cross the line and you're defending your wife's honor, why aren't you out of your seat before dude even finishes telling the joke? He wasn't. In fact, he was just the opposite. He was laughing along with everybody else not named Jada. Now, I'm not saying that Will Smith is going to confuse anybody with Mike Tyson back in the day or Francis Ngannou right now. But I got to give it to Rock. I mean, that's a much smaller dude who showed that he's got a pretty good chin. And I'm not saying that Smith has got heavy hands like Gorge Foreman in his prime. But he took a good enough shot, didn't blink, and just kept right on doing the show. It's not the easiest thing to do. Like, like what's Rock thinking? Screw it. We're going to go right here, right now. Or does the dude take a beat like he did and say, you know what? I'm a pro. They're paying me to do a job. I need to get right fast. And I've got to finish the job. Like the whole thing was just so wild and surreal. These weren't two randos on a sidewalk. These aren't a couple of drunks in a bar. It wasn't even two guys in the crowd at the Academy Awards. And not only that. But when he accepted the award, he barely referenced the fact the guy that he just smacked on national TV a few minutes earlier, he barely even mentioned that. So he apologized to the Academy and the other nominees, but not Rock. And then he was dropping lines like wanting to be a vessel of love. It's like, I want to be a vessel for love. I want to say... Thank you to Venus and Serena. I just spit. I hope they didn't see that on TV. Um, I want to say thank you to Venus and Serena and the Tyre Williams family for entrusting me with your story. That's what I want to do. I want to be an ambassador of that kind of love and care and concern. I mean... The whole thing just gets more and more surreal and bizarre. If by vessel of love you mean punching a dude in the face for something he said about your wife that you initially allegedly thought was funny, only to have the wife let you know that it's not funny, allegedly, then yeah, I guess you're a vessel of love or a vessel of overreaction. Yes. Here's what this comes down to me. To me. Somebody insulting or threatening your lady is a reason to go, of course. But the question is, was that that? Or was that just a part of the bleeping format? A comedian shows up to host the Oscars, talks a bunch of junk, some of it on the line, some of it maybe over the line, and folks get roasted. This is nothing new. But dude, rushing the stage over it is. And again, for what? A haircut? A G.I. Jane joke? I mean, this is Chris Rock we're talking about. And Rock's talking about the Smith family. I mean, it seems to me, tell me I'm wrong, seems to me there are plenty of things that he could have said that would have merited Will Smith rushing up on stage and knocking him the hell out. But to me, that wasn't one of them. Mocking your lady's haircut is not a reason to go. And yes, I know she's battling alopecia. I get that. I know she's been very public about that. I still am not so sure that's a reason to go.
especially not there and not on that stage and not over what he said. Here's what I think he should have done. Here's how I think he should have handled it. What he should have done is just roll with it because that is the format. And the dude, we'll talk, the, the dude who delivered that quote insult has a, a lot more in him than that. That was pretty tame. However, if Will Smith really had a problem with it, I think he finds Rock backstage and says, listen, mother bleeper, you keep my wife and my name out your mouth because the next time it happens, you're going to be in an ambulance riding to a hospital. Don't ever do it again. So it seems to me there are reasons to go, but to me that wasn't one of them. I think there are better ways to handle it than that, especially since he seemed to think it was so funny when he heard it the first time. So, vessel of love or vessel of hypersensitivity? Vessel Or, or vessel of overreaction. Love. I mean, like Rock himself said, like, dude, it was a G.I. Jane joke. In wow, retrospect. dude. Go ahead, Albie. Wow, dude. Yes. It was a G.I. Jane joke. Keep my wife's name out your f***ing mouth. I'm going to. I mean, like I said, I get defending your wife's honor all day long, 100%, but wasn't he laughing when he first heard it? I don't know. Maybe in retrospect, I wish Adele Dazeem would have stopped mid-song to let her hands go on Travolta for Dazeeming her. Wild stuff. Wow, dude. Parents, it is time. Time to finally cross off one of the most important things on your to-do list, life insurance. Fabric makes getting a great term life insurance policy for your family quick, easy, and surprisingly affordable. You see, Fabric was built specifically for parents to help you manage your family's financial future like a parenting pro, stress-free. Fabric's new lower prices mean significant savings over other providers with great policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. And everything is on your schedule with Fabric because it's all online. Less than 10 minutes to apply and you can be offered coverage instantly with no health exam required. Then, just personalize your quote to fit your family's needs and you'll be set with high-quality, affordable protection for your family. There is no risk to apply today. Fabric has a 30-day money-back guarantee and you can cancel at any time. Protect your family with term life insurance right now in just 10 minutes. Apply today at meetfabric.com slash Rome. Again, that's meetfabric.com dot com slash r-o-m-e to start protecting your family right now m-e-e-t fabric.com slash rome fabric insurance agency policies issued by vantas life not available in new york and montana prices subject to underwriting and health questions longtime friend of mine in fact that's not even doing it justice one of my favorite human beings ever butta kevin frazier is joining us kevin what's going on dude What's up? How are you? Dude, I'm great. How are you? Uh, man, I, you know, I just need a little nap, but it's so crazy. This is just, it's, wow, what a night. What, what a gonna, night. I was going to say to you, look, you and I could talk sports. We could talk life. We could talk about anything. But how was your night? How would you even start to break down what happened? How was your night? And let me give, just give me a jumping off point. Where do you want to start with that? Let, okay, so let's start on the red carpet, okay? Everybody is like, on a high, 
because they're like, this is Will's night. Anjanou Ellis is like about to break down in tears, talking about Will, what a great guy he is. Will comes in, and he is like, I guess, got to get straight in. He walks past everybody, and he's like, I've got to go. I've got to go. I've got to get straight in. And he went straight in into his seat. And everybody kind of chalked it up to, he's nervous. I get it. He's waited all his life for this. And um, two weeks ago, he spoke to my, my, um, my co-host, and, I mean, he was so emotional and literally cried his eyes out talking about he felt this need now to protect the women from this movie and the Venus and Serena and the women in his life. So it, we were set. He had laid the, the groundwork for this that he wasn't going to take it anymore. Kevin Frazier is joining us. Now, when you lay it out like that, that's really interesting, right? That was his mindset going into the night. That was the vibe going into the night. So, Kevin, did did he not seem like he was reacting? Did he not seem to be laughing when he first heard the joke? What do you make of his initial reaction to it? Okay. So I can tell you this about Will Smith. He always does that laugh. That laugh is like his way of trying to mask and get through things. He can be angry. Someone can say something nasty to him. You'll see he does the laugh. Um, and then it processed. And so I think he kind of was like, okay, we're going to laugh and ha, ha, ha. Then he looked at his wife and he saw the hurt on her face. And then something snapped. Now, let's go back to 2016 where Chris Rock, in his monologue, went in, monologue, uh, hosting the Oscars. He went in on Jada. And... There was an incident online where Will wished his ex-wife and the mother of his son, Trey, um, a, happy, a happy birthday. And Chris Rock in the comments said, wow, you have a really understanding wife. And then, um, and then Cherie, his ex-wife, said, don't hate. So there was tension. Now, I have also been told that, that after that monologue at the, Oscar, at the Oscars with Chris back in the day in 2016, that Will had talked to. Chris about that moment and Will was basically like don't don't even mention my wife's name anymore you add into that Jim the last year and a half two years has been hell for him you know he's been the butt of a lot of jokes I am no in no way condoning slapping a man in the face on the stage of the Oscars I'm just telling you I'm laying the groundwork for where his mindset might have been mm-hmm Kevin Frazier joining us, host of E.T. I was going to say, Kevin, so, like, where do we draw the line? Who was the one who crossed the line? Was it Rock in making that joke, or was it Smith in physically getting up on a stage and making contact with a presenter? They both crossed the line. Jim, they both crossed the line. There was no, listen, Jada's alopecia, she's been very, um, upfront without about her battle with alopecia and you know she talked to us about you know she tried turban she's tried other things but it has been a struggle for someone who is an actress a, a, a big time actress and i it's just what was the win on that joke right and what was the win in smacking him get up go talk to him get up even confront him there and say that was you shouldn't have done that um and I think that Chris thought, you know, Will was going to come up and, and maybe say something to him or have a fun moment. 
but it, it turned ugly. And hey, look, Will meant it. You know, when he walked up there, he didn't stop to say anything to him. He walked right up to him and he smacked him. That was West Philly in the house. That was straight up West Philly. We're talking again, Frazier. You know, Kevin, it's I. Here's the thing: I we can argue about who was right, who was wrong, why it happened, how it should have been handled. But the one thing that I'm not going to entertain at all. I'm getting a lot of this, and you can speak to this. Is there any part of you at all who thinks that that was not legit and that that was staged? And that these guys are both actors, and it was fake to generate buzz. Can you entertain that argument at all on any level? Uh, okay, not at all. Because let me let me give you a couple of things. Yes, having seen Will the two weeks before that, also in the break when Denzel and Tyler Perry first came over to Will, and they tried to talk to him, he was emotional. He was crying. Then when he talked to Bradley Cooper, you can see him wiping tears away. And Chris Rock actually came out to check on him. But you, I know it's real because Meredith O'Sullivan, who is his longtime publicist, she then came out there and was squatted next to him and was talking to Will, making sure he's okay. And she came again and again in every break to check on him. And as soon as he won the Oscar, the first person that was there was Meredith. She will, she is the great protector of Will. And literally, you could see on Meredith's face when she turned around after she hugged him when he came off the stage as they were going to break, that she had the old face. And it was like she was in, in, in damage control and making sure her client, her guy, was going to be okay. We're talking to Kevin Frazier. Kevin, here's something I heard, and I'm, this is just something I heard. I don't know if it's true or not, but just speculation, sure. and I want to get your thoughts on this. I heard that maybe, possibly, Will told Chris prior to the show, don't, don't do that joke. Don't do that joke. Do you think that that's plausible? And if it happened, do you think that Rock has it in him to do the joke anyway? You know, it's interesting because it goes along with the alopecia thing and that whether um, – and I, I have read conflicting reports, okay, because I haven't talked to the guys themselves. And until I talk to the guys themselves or the people directly connected with them, I, I won't believe everything. Sure. But, um, Chris, I mean, look, it was an ad-libbed – it looked like it was an ad-libbed joke. And I think that, you know – just wasn't like Will had had enough. And there, I think people see one side of Will Smith, but there's another. You know, there's the dude from West Philly, and I have seen being in his inner circle with his guys who are the nicest people in the world, but when their family circle is threatened, we were in, um, we were in uh, England, in Blackpool, England, for a concert, and I was um, with Will's older son, Trey, and his business partner, and I mean, his business partner is nicest guy, nicest man on the on the planet. And this guy kept like talking to Trey, talking to Trey, talking to Trey. And I saw his business partner step up, and he grabbed something. And he looked at him like, "If you mess with this kid, you're gonna have to take me on." And it's a very tight family unit, man. It is. They've been together forever, and they all love each other and they have each other's back. So. I just, when I, when I, you know, this is unfortunate because it's two guys who are icons and you don't want to see that kind of thing happen. 
with two icons, especially two icons of the African-American community. Hmm. So it is sad. It is, uh, it is a hurtful moment because neither one of them wins. And it took away from so many other great moments. It stole the shine from another Philly guy in Questlove who won for Doc's Best Documentary for Summer of Soul right after Will. And nobody watched it because everybody was rewinding or they were in there trying to figure out what the hell was going on. Kevin Frazier joining us. You know, I was going to make that point, too. There were so many great, great things last night, Kevin, that get overshadowed by this. So to your point, like, it's too bad to see two icons, two icons and legends in the middle of something like this. What do you think it means to both of them going forward? Start with Rock. How do you think that impacts him going forward? Well, Chris Rock is getting ready to go on tour with Kevin Hart. If this thing is not resolved by the time he goes on tour, and even when he does go on tour, I think he'll address it because that's what he does, which could just, it could pure, I mean, it could pour fuel on the fire because Chris can go like nobody else. And so I'm very interested to see if they squash this or what happens, but I know Chris will have to mention it, and I know Kevin Hart will mention it. So that's one side of it. But Will, this is something he really, I mean, you know, this Oscar was such a moment for him. Um, but you also notice a shift in his life where he's like, I want to be as authentic and as open and honest about everything. And the thing about protecting the people in his circle, I mean, he cried his eyes out telling Michelle about it, literally. And this was, you know, two weeks ahead of time. He cried his eyes out and he said, you know, that, that he just feels like he has this mission now. So what do you think that means? Like, for instance, that it was going to it, like it's the biggest night. It's the biggest night of his career, obviously. And you set that up beautifully, Kevin. You could tell that this is his mindset. This is how deeply he feels about this. So how do you think this will impact him and his image going forward? It depends on how he does the PR. I think that eventually we'll, we'll sit down and talk about it. I'm not sure if he goes to the red table with his wife whether he sits down to do an interview with someone, but I do believe, or, or maybe he'll address it on, online, you know, on his own social media. But I do believe that Will will address it. And it'll be very interesting because that can signal where he goes forward. And also, keep this in mind. There are a handful of people who things happen and they can move forward. I do believe Will Smith is one of those people. Hmm. So how do you, it's early in the day still, you had a long, long night. Any idea how you plan on covering and unpacking all of this on E.T.? Yeah, okay, so we are, I mean, literally tonight, we are going to go through their history, some of the things that have that has happened, you know, what the things that have happened between them in the past, the um, stuff, all the all the stuff that has happened leading up to this, too, that could have gotten under Will's skin. You know, at the BAFTAs, um, Rebel Wilson had a, had a joke about, you know, about Will and Jada's relationship. And their relationship has become the butt of jokes everywhere. Remember this. The crying Jordan is the most popular meme, hands down. And that was replaced by poor Will, the crying Will, for a while. 
after a while, there's only so much you can take. So we will walk you down this path and show you, you know, all the things that led up to that night, uh, last night, and all the things that were going on there that night in the venue, and all the people and their reactions. Um, it, Jim, the reactions in the room were almost as, as crazy as what happened on the stage. Tell me. Tell me. What was that like? I mean, look at the Nicole, the Nicole Kidman one is online everywhere. But besides that, I mean, like you see everyone automatically pull out their phones. They're texting. They're talking to each other. People are like, oh, shit, what just happened? Because no one could understand what happened. Inside, everybody thought it was a skit until Will started yelling. When Will started yelling, everybody's like, oh, my God, this is real. What? This is real. And so everybody was freaking out. Uh, Tiffany Haddish, she came down. She was talking to Jada, whispering in her ear. Those two are very close because along with Regina Hall, they did Girls Trip with Queen Latifah, who was also there in the audience. So the factions immediately divided up. Maya Rudolph, visibly upset. She's very close to Chris Rock. So you had the people who were watching this and, you know, were on different sides, and they were like, what in the hell is going on? And you're also, you're, I mean, there is a concern for, we haven't heard from Chris. There's a concern about that. Kevin, do you think that when, and I'm going to let you go in a minute. I'm so glad to have you on. Thanks so much for doing this. Do you think that when Will got up there and he had that apology, uh, effectively he apologized to everybody except Chris Rock. Did he owe him an apology? Should he have mentioned him in the apology? Um, I thought it was the time to mention it. And honestly, you know, it was the time if you had a problem to really address it. Because if you were bothered by that joke, by bringing it up at that moment when you were talking to the world, it would have made you look like such a smart and dignified person by holding that in and then addressing it to the world and saying, you know, you don't understand the struggles of my wife, yet you come up here to belittle her in front of the world. Then you have a, you know, you have a leg to stand on. People are gonna be like, "Oh man, I get it. I understand it. Wow, Chris, that was out of line." So, end of the day, I'm not asking yet. I, I know you don't want to make a choice, but if I were to ask you who was more out of line, how would you answer that? I, I And I, I swear to you, Jim, at the end of the day, I'm just sad because everybody loses. Because you also have to understand what this was, what was at stake here. You know, um, Will Packer does the Oscars. And here we are with this black man and his partner who are doing the Oscars. And it's a big deal that they're making this shift and allowing him to kind of reformat the whole Oscar show. And you have this moment where Ariana DeBose wins for West Side Story, this openly gay woman, a Latina woman. You have the folks from CODA who are deaf and they win. There is so much diversity. The Oscars are changing. You feel like you've taken this huge step forward. This night is about change. Oh, my God. And damn it, this happened. So there's so much that was at stake that it's not about the size, it's about damaging the ability to move forward. Don't mess that up. 
You know, Kevin, I've known you a long time. You and I have been very, very good friends for a very, very long time. And, oh and I understand. I understand very clearly why you're reacting like this. But from me to you, I have to be honest, I've never heard you react to any story that you've ever covered in or out of sports and entertainment the way you are right now. I can tell. I, I'm, I'm so sad. Like, that moment made me so sad because of, what was at stake? You know, here's Will Packer, this man who comes from Florida A&M and HBCU. He is doing. He's bringing HBCU students in to present. There's all these great things happening. Don't taint the moment. The carpet was incredible. There were so many people. And look, Jessica Chastain got choked up and began to cry on the carpet, talking about she got to make a movie and now here she was back around everyone and what it meant to be back together. Like, what a genuine moment. What a beautiful moment, you know? You, you got to see all the people who were involved with the Encanto thing. Sebastian uh, Yalta, who is a Colombian artist who I, I really like so much, a young guy. This was his big moment. Gone, overshadowed. Questlove, his big moment. Gone, overshadowed. Guys from Coda, gone, overshadowed. It, it's just, it, it breaks my heart. Hmm. He is the host of E.T. He is the founder of HipHollywood.com. He is a longtime friend of mine, one of my favorite people ever, and obviously a lot of work to do today because there's a lot to unpack and cover on E.T. K. Frage, I love you, man. Thank you so much. I really appreciate Jim, you. You know I love on. you, man. I appreciate you having me on and just to, to talk through this. And, um, you know, I'm always here for you. No, I know that, too. I love you for it, too. Clones, what do you want when you're craving protein or you need more energy? Not bars, not sugary snacks, not energy drinks. You want beef, pure and simple. Where's the beef? It's in a package of Old Trapper Beef Jerky. Old Trapper is not your old man's jerky. Shriveled, dry, tasteless. Old Trapper Beef Jerky is made from lean strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. It's tender, it's tasty, it's not tough. And why is it so good? Because Old Trapper is a 50-year-old family business known for its relentless commitment to quality. They take smoked beef extremely seriously, and you can taste it in every single bite. Old Trapper is packed with protein. It comes in four amazing flavors to satisfy all your cravings. Quality smoked meat at its finest. It goes with you wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. So look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. Clones, if you do not see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper or what's your beef? It's kind of interesting because the last couple of weeks I've mentioned my personal connection with a few college basketball coaches on a few different occasions. And I mentioned that not to name drop or flex, but in terms of gambling and how I'll, I'll sometimes bet a guy that I'm personally connected to, even if my heart of hearts tells me it's not a good matchup. But also for decades, for decades now, we have busted our ass to jam as many college basketball coaches on or before March, and especially during the tournament, to give you as much insight and storylines as possible. It's kind of part of the show's history. And frankly, I think that we've done this longer and better than any other nationally syndicated program. You know, facts on bleeping facts. I love it. I'm proud of it. And one dude who I absolutely love that I can never get enough of, and it's always been this way, is Frank bleeping Martin. I love me some Frank Martin. 
And I've been on record with this for a long, long time. I have always loved Frank Martin. Such a different cat. You know, the proverbial one of one, because even in a profession with some of the most unique, hard-charging mother bleepers, there's still nobody quite like my dude Frank Martin. Even still. Even still. Like, we all mellow out a little bit. But even still. Hell of a dude. Hell of a coach. And I knew that once South Carolina broke him off, he'd be just fine. That was not a guy that I was worried about at all. And he is. He is. He immediately steps into an analyst role where he kills it. Like he's so good on TV. And clearly could have done that for a year or longer. Like my guy Seth Greenberg went into a broadcast analyst role and never looked back. Bill Cowher did the same thing. Never looked back. Frank Martin to me is one of those guys. He could have easily have done that and never looked back. Or... Or he could do what he loves most and what he's best at, and that's get right the hell back on path and continue coaching, which is what he decided to do. He's accepted the head coaching position at UMass. And it says here, the the folks there are lucky as hell to have this guy. Best hire that school has made since John Calipari back in the day when John and his crew was pooping in nationally ranked teams ice cream on the regular back in the 90s. And then no sooner than my guy had accepted that offer, my guy Frank Martin, he started doing Frank Martin things, namely fighting the hell back and straight up clowning and schooling fools and morons who thought they could try him on social. Like I'm talking about this dude just reaching for his phone and thumbing the hell out of trolls, one at a time. Especially the Atlantic 10 St. Bonaventure trolls. They came at Frank. The Bonnies wanted him for some reason. They came at him early and often, and it did not go well for those who did. One fan welcomed Frank to the A-10 conference as a, quote, sacrificial lamb. That fan also let him know he's excited for two wins a year, and mocked UMass for not hiring Bonnie's head coach and Massachusetts native Mark Schmidt. Frank, though, just getting loose, warming up, shot right back with, quote, I appreciate the welcome. Obviously, you don't know me very well. I mean, that's good. He's just warming up now, but that's good. That's good. And obviously, you don't know Frank very well because no win against a Frank Martin team is ever easy. So another troll came at Frank and asked him how much of a, quote, haircut it took for him to get that job over Schmidt, to which Frank counterpunched with, quote, I don't have hair. Therefore, I don't need a haircut. Let's have some fun. End of tweet. Now it's getting good. Let's have some fun, he says. So, of course, this right here is still not exactly Will Smith rushing the stage to get to Chris Rock over a hair joke, but a good enough chin check from the OG that is Frank. Dude is getting loose. He's setting the tone. And I love, quote, let's have some fun. Because as we know, when Frank says, let's have some fun, we're about to have some fun. The guy on the receiving end is not going to have much fun, but the rest of us are. Frank always has more gas to share if you want to keep trying him and keep coming at him. And literally, literally, I guess, because 
Some dude named Michael Cobbs tried to get funny with Frank's name. And by funny, I mean he tried to come with about the worst joke ever. I mean a line so bad, the dumbest clone ever would not consider bringing this idiocy around here. Think for a minute. If I were to ask you the question, who is the dumbest clone ever? Think about that for a minute. Go ahead. Think about that and vote. Think of the dumbest clone that you know, whoever that person is. Even that person would not have tried what this dude just stepped to Frank Martin with on social. All right, before I read this, think of the dumbest clone ever. And then think of that clone. He or she would try this. At mcobbs901 tweeted, and I quote, Frank Martin. More like Frank Farton. Because UMass stinks at Coach F. Martin. I mean, honestly, and I don't know why this is, every time I think about that tweet or I read that tweet, I crack up. (laughs) Maybe it's because I'm going on two hours sleep. I I don't even know why. Actually, it's not that because when I first saw it, it was after one of our worst days ever at the track. And I was on the airplane and I couldn't stop laughing. Because it's funny. It might be the single most juvenile thing I've ever heard or seen from a middle-aged person in my life. A Frank Farton joke. (laughs) I mean, for real. Are you five? Frank Farton. And then, and then he had to chase it with an explanation. Frank Farton. Because UMass stinks. Hey, bro. Good thing you chased it with that, Cobbs. Or we might not have gotten that reference, right? Oh, no. We got it, Cobbs. We got it all right. Yo, Cobber. We got it. A Frank Farton joke. Bro. Fail clown guy thinks you need to work on your material. Fail clown. I mean, I flew to New Mexico for the biggest race in several years, and it could not have gone any worse, man. It, it was depressing. It was sad for everybody involved. Yet, I'm on the airplane reading this, licking my wounds, telling myself that a setback always sets up a much bigger comeback. You man the hell up, man. It was a real funny side story, too. When I was at the race, I ran into none other than Alex Bregman's dad, who's really big in the, in the business down there. And I told him that one of my favorite things ever in sports was him teaching his kid TTFU. TTFU. And his dad's great. His dad's awesome. He's like, yeah, and by the way, Rome, I taught it to his sister also. So I'm on the airplane, toughing the bleep up, toughing the bleep up about how we got beat down. And then I see this Frank Farton exchange. And immediately I'm feeling better. Immediately I almost forgot why I was hurting in the first place. This dude's all up in his phone and telling his crew, I got this. I got this. Yo, 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 yo. I got this. Let me take it from here. Some old fool is about to get smoked. Get the hell out of my way so I can do what I do. Only to see that same guy go at the legend with a Frank Farton joke. Like, I literally can't stop laughing. And not because of how funny it is, but how lame it is. Like, maybe the lamest joke in the history of Twitter. But, in, <laughs> but the best part is, 
<laughs> Instead of just letting it go, Frank wanted to, quote, have more fun. Let's have some fun. So he goes full-on legend in promising to go full-on Tim Jomsula on this cat when he meets him. Check out Frank's clapback on the Frank Farton dude. <laughs> His response was, and I quote, I'll make sure I share one with you the day I meet you. End quote. Straight gas, homie. Straight gas, homie. Straight gas, homie. Straight gas, homie. Now that's funny, Cobbs. This dude is the absolute best. And Cobbs, you are the worst, man. For real. A Final Four, multiple coach of the year, extremely well-respected guy, promised to polter this cat if he ever runs into him. Like, this isn't Parody Larry and Lance in Topeka ripping fart jokes back and forth. Although I'm sure Cobbs would fall into that category with those two boneheads. This is Frank Martin telling one of the opponent's fan bases he's going to blast a few baking brownies on him when they meet someday. I mean, how do you get better than that? How do you get better than Frank Martin? Hey, any more of you Bonnie loyalists want to try my guy? I know the one dude said it was the two easy wins each year. Now that Frank is coaching the Minutemen. You know, he and his fan base just took three straight L's. And Frank Farton is standing over all of you outside his club after he just curb stomped all of you. Bonnie fans, stop. One of you best pick Cobbs up off the ground and get. Because this fight ended a long time ago. And Frank Farton hasn't even stepped foot on the hardwood yet before he wrecked you. This is all over. This is not over. I'll tell you what. Can somebody get Cobbs on the phone so I can hire this cat? Comedic genius does not come around very often. My man Cobbs, he's like Adam McKay, Tina Fey, and Seth MacFarlane all rolled into one. He's Woody Allen minus the perv. People are worried that the U.S. has fallen into a recession. My man Cobbs is here to save the day. All Cobbs has to do is open up a storefront, or not even that, like sell it out of the back of his trunk or out of his garage. All he has to do is just slap Frank Farton on a T-shirt. There's no way stores could keep up with that demand. Do you have any <laughs> idea how legendary and big Frank Farton bumper stickers could be? They could save the bleeping economy, and then some. Frank Farton, because UMass stinks? That, that's not like an eight-year-old who said that. It's just like some middle-aged dude on Twitter. What else you got? What else you got, dude? Let me guess. Jay Wrong. Ed Not Cooley. Shaka Dumb. You know why? Because he's not smart. Ed not coolly. You know why? He's not cool. Oh uh, yeah. Jay wrong. You know why? He's not right. Cobbs, 
My man. You are the American hero that we do not deserve. Frank Farton? <laughs> and then Frank responded to it and just iced the cat. Frank's the best. <laughs> Unbelievable. Like I said, you did, come up. Have you come up with the dumbest clone ever? Would the dumbest clone ever even attempt to bring that around here? Dear Jim, the dumbest clone ever? That's easy. That's the, that's not helping them. It's hurting them, Rome. And you shouldn't be talking about it on the radio, man. Guy. Kids. It's hurting them, Rome. And he shouldn't be talking about it on the radio, man. Lee and Hartford voted for that guy. Squirrel, too, thinks he's going to make it better, but I know he won't. I've seen his body of work. Frank Martin. More like Frank Burp Farton. Yours, Wendy Williams. It's a matter of time. She's not lonely. <laughs> I apologize. I apologize. Frank's the best. Frank Martin is the best. Cobbs. The only thing worse than Cobbs glossing him that and standing back like, yo, and dropping his mic is him explaining why he said it. Because, you know what? Because UMass stinks. We know, Cobbs. We know why you called him Frank Farton. No need to explain that, dude. You did not need to chase that, chase that with an explanation. We got it. Cobbs. <laughs> Something else, dude. What, Hornsby didn't want any of that? <laughs> and now a message from Discover about customer service and common sense. When you have credit card questions, it is nice to have them answered by a real person. You know, somebody who can actually understand your issues and work to resolve them. In other words, what you do not need is a robot. And that's why Discover offers helpful U.S.-based representatives available 24-7. No wonder we call it live Customer service. Discover. Exceptionally. Common sense. A panelist on our daily TV show back in the day. He is Pat Forty. Pat, it's so good to have you back. Pat, how are you? Hey, I'm doing well, Jim, and uh, glad we could talk a little basketball in and around the Oscar fisticuffs. Yeah, right? Me too. Great to talk <laughs> basketball with you, Pat. Great to talk anything with you. All right, so we've got our Final Four, and we've got programs, Pat, that have combined for 17 national titles. Each one has at least three titles between them. The team with the fewest national titles in the group has won two since 2016. So my point is, one of the talking points all year long, Pat, was there was no dominant team or two. Knowing that, what does it say that these are the four? teams that made it to the final four well yeah it is uh, surprising to a degree from a what looked like a pretty wide open parody driven season and a wild tournament for two weeks that we are sitting here with four heavyweight blue bloods uh still a bit unlikely i just you know like north carolina while it's north carolina they were not even sure they were getting in the tournament until they won that game in cameron indoor stadium and at that point, Duke looked like they might be headed to an early demise. But now they're both in, and they're both here, and probably playing that game helped them both. Uh, so this is kind of how basketball, this, this tournament works. Well, you know, I think one of the great appeals to it, Jim, obviously, are the upsets and the, and the underdogs. But 
Darwinism holds holds true in the end, and it's just survival of the fittest, and you get the best programs and the biggest uh, team, best, biggest teams, best programs at the end of the thing. We're talking to Pat Forty, senior writer for Sports Illustrated. So, Pat, what about that matchup? I mean, to your point, it's so true. North Carolina certainly did struggle early on. Duke was having trouble putting it together, and now they're playing their best ball when it matters most. So what are your early thoughts on the matchup in the Final Four? What are your thoughts on the chance of Coach K continuing to the championship game or Carolina ending him and them? Boy, you know, I, I like where Duke is sitting right now. Uh, both obviously playing well. Nobody's not playing well when you get to the Final Four, but I was in San Francisco, saw Duke in person twice there, super impressed with them. They've, they've got the best talent of the four teams remaining. They could have as many as five guys get picked in the draft, uh, even in the first round maybe. And, you know, I, I think they're ready now to handle the stakes of this. I don't think they, they – was a, it's a young team, very young team. Nobody's older than 20 out of the main rotation other than Theo John, and he doesn't play that much. And I think the magnitude of Coach K's last game in Cameron Indoor got to them. And now I think they're ready to, to, put, to put it back at North Carolina after that game. And, and I think they, you know, they're ready for what will be one of the, arguably the biggest fun national semifinals we've ever seen. I mean, scope, storylines, it's got it all. We're talking to Pat Forty. It's incredible, really. Like, one thought about North Carolina, Pat, it was not that long ago that they were struggling and they were getting blown out by 20 at home by Duke. What changed for them over the last month and a half? I think they got better defensively. Uh, they certainly, I think, have gotten a little bit tougher and more resilient. That was a team that when they got – when things started going wrong, they went way wrong. You know, they, as you said, they were blown out by Duke. They were blown out by Miami. They were blown out, I believe, by Virginia Tech. Uh, Pittsburgh, who is horrible, went into the Dean Dome and was beating them by, like, 25. It, it ended up, I think, being about 15 or whatever, but that was a terribly embarrassing loss. Uh, you wouldn't have given a nickel for that team's chances to do anything, but they got better defensively, and they just got tougher. And I think they just solidified, okay, We've got four guys who we're going to build everything around, especially offensively, and that's going to be Armando Baycott in the middle, Brady Manick is the stretch four guy, and then our two guards, R.J. Davis and Caleb Love, and everybody's roles just kind of coalesced a little bit better. We are talking to Pat Forty. So, Pat, what about Villanova beating a extremely tough Houston team? I thought it was so impressive, but it really was costly, of course. Justin Moore goes down with what turned out to be an Achilles injury. Villanova, Pat, already has that short rotation, and guys play a ton of minutes. How different is this team without Moore? Uh, I'm afraid they're fatally different, you know, in terms of their chances to advance. I, I just think it's a huge injury at the wrong time. They They play six guys, and now it's five, and – Justin Moore, for all intents and purposes, is their best player. I, Colin Gillespie is the heart of the team, but Justin Moore, second-leading scorer, number one in minutes, usually guards the other team's best player. Uh, I just don't know how you replace that you know, at this point in time of the season. So uh, really up against it. This may be uh, Jay Wright's best coaching job in a ton of great coaching jobs to get this team to the Final Four, but I, I don't know how they – can win on Saturday now against Kansas. I think that's fair. Pat Forty joining us. What about Kansas? They trailed at half yesterday, and then they absolutely thrashed Miami in the second half. What did you make of that performance and of this Kansas team overall? Yeah, incredibly impressive performance. Uh, you know, and we've seen Bill Self's teams in regional finals sometimes in those situations get tight, 
uh, and and not be able to finish when the pressure's on of going to a Final Four. We saw it against VCU. We saw it against Villanova, I believe, in 2016 uh, and other times, too. And so this time, no, they, they put it to them. Uh, you know, I think Miami was in a little over its depth. They had gone, you know, probably at least around further than they really had a right to. So they weren't playing against a team I don't think that was really capable of, of stressing them for a full 40. But the way they played there, that, that, that was one of their better defensive performances, I think, of the season. Uh, and their, their big men are playing better at the right time as well. So Kansas, they've got the easier semifinal. I mean, right now I would say Kansas is the team to beat, mostly just because of the matchup Saturday. I think they're the most likely to be in the final on Monday. Pat Forty joining us for a few more moments. Pat, you've been written about this and made the point that you've got three Hall of Fame coaches. Obviously, Hubert Davis is brand new to it, and I think he did an amazing job this year, especially given the heat that he took early on. But if you had to say, Pat, who is the best X's and O's coach? X's and O's. If you had to isolate that in the Final Four, who would you take? Oh, boy. You know, I mean, I think uh, you can make a case for, for all three of the Hall of Famers for that. I mean, what Krzyzewski did in San Francisco, implementing zone defense at particular points against both Texas Tech and uh, in the regional final, uh, I, I thought was re- against Arkansas, really deft uh, and, and made some, some key uh, decisions as far as personnel and who was going to play at, at various points. But Bill Self is a great tactician in-game. It's inbounds, out-of-bounds plays, out-of-timeouts, that sort of thing. And then Jay Wright finds ways to, to create matchups that he wants and to isolate players who can score. Um, so I, all three of those guys have different specialties, I guess you would say. In terms of who's going to actually like coach the game, I, I think Bill Self might be the best of those three. Hmm. Pat Forty, my guest. So, Pat, really quickly, as somebody who has covered college basketball for a long, long time, I mean, you've seen essentially everything there is to see. How would you sum up, then, what you saw from St. Peter's? It was incredible. I mean, one of the great runs, really arguably the best Cinderella run we've ever seen. No 15 seeds ever gone that far. And, you know, given the the stature of St. Peter's program and, you know, the budget size and, and everything that, that they are fighting against in terms of competing on a national scale. That was just incredible. And to, to beat Kentucky, incredible. To beat Purdue, incredible. You know, just to be in those games and to win them, that's about as good as it gets. And Shaheen Holloway is going to get everything he deserves and, you know, gonna, probably going to be the coach at Seton Hall and get a great contract and go back to his alma mater there. But, what a great thing for that school to have to have had that run and and no, it's not going to probably change the overall trajectory of the university or the basketball program, but man, just to have had that, there will be people talking about that in New Jersey for for many many years to come. I thought it was the greatest Cinderella, Cinderella run I've ever seen in my life. I just I've never seen anything. There have been some great ones, but I have never seen anything like that. So just to wrap it up, Pat, because you saw Duke in San Francisco and you liked what you saw so much. If they were to win a national title and Coach K were to go off in the sunset with that championship, what do you think that moment's going to feel like or look like? I think it's going to be just an overwhelming like a, a moment in terms of emotion and, you know, support and everything. I, it will remind me, I think a little bit of when Tiger Woods won the masters at age 43, you know, where it's like this, this late career validation and really a softening. I think of how some of the public looks at Mike Krzyzewski and at Duke and same way with Tiger, you know, there were plenty of people that hated Tiger and there still are, but, but there were still like, 
man, look at this. This is an amazing thing at his age to do this. And I think at Mike Krzyzewski at age 75, he would be the oldest coach to win a national title by seven years. If he can pull this off, I think there would be a lot of people just taking off their hat and saying, you know what? Good for you. Way to go out on the highest of notes. You'd have to. He is a senior writer for Sports Illustrated, co-host of the College Football Inquirer podcast, and, as I mentioned, a panelist of the Daily TV show back in the day. Pat, I appreciate you so much. Thanks for doing that, and really good to talk to you again. Thank you, Jim. My pleasure. Parents, it is time. Time to finally cross off one of the most important things on your to-do list, life insurance. Fabric makes getting a great term life insurance policy for your family quick, easy, and surprisingly affordable. You see, Fabric was built specifically for parents to help you manage your family's financial future like a parenting pro, stress-free. Fabric's new lower prices mean significant savings over other providers with great policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. And everything is on your schedule with Fabric because it's all online. Less than 10 minutes to apply, and you can be offered coverage instantly with no health exam required. Then, just personalize your quote to fit your family's needs, and you'll be set with high-quality, affordable protection for your family. There is no risk to apply today. Fabric has a 30-day money-back guarantee, and you can cancel at any time. Protect your family with term life insurance right now in just 10 minutes. Apply today at meetfabric.com slash Rome. Again, that's meetfabric.com slash R-O-M-E to start protecting your family right now. M-E-E-T, fabric.com slash Rome. Fabric Insurance Agency policies issued by Vantas Life. Not available in New York and Montana. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. Let's go to Oregon. Sean. Good to have you, Sean. How are you? Good, Jim. Great weekend, except for this whole thing with uh, Will Smith and Chris Rock, you know, going for the ratings reach. You know, this just goes into Will Smith's part, you know, trying to be protective against women. And we all know it ain't right to make jokes about people's disabilities or illnesses. So that he got up, did this thing, and if we don't think this is choreographed, you think WWF is real. I mean, the guy got up. There was no security guards. Chris Rock didn't hardly flinch or anything. That just looked like a, a regular WWF slap to me, like Hulk Hogan probably taught him how to do that the other day. And that whole thing with uh, uh, keep my name out of your mouth line, that's so overused. That's for thin-skinned kids, you know, and that just makes you look mentally fragile. That just, that's just a terrible look, you know, and this whole thing, if, if people ain't reading into this, you know, this is just looking for better ratings uh, next year. Does anybody even watch that show? I mean, are there any good movies even come out anymore? Have a great day, brother. All right, see you, Sean. Thank you very much. <laughs> All right, so Gino in San Antonio. Gino, what's up? Romy, man, what an incredible weekend. I just cannot believe everything that went on. I, I was actually out at the Dell uh, Match Play Championship watching local boy Scotty Scheffler take the world number one ranking. Congratulations to my boy, Hook'em Horns. And uh, watching all the brackets, I, I can't, you know, I'm actually excited for the first time in a long time for the last games, even in the women's bracket. I cannot wait to see the UConn game. I cannot wait to see UNC Duke. Like, it is amazing, but I don't know about you, Rome, but my bracket is completely destroyed after last night. I mean, I had Amy Schumer getting assaulted by Kirsten Dunst over that seed filler joke. 
But when Will Smith started uh, laughing at the joke and then slapped Chris Rock and then verbally embarrassed himself by giving a speech about how he's been sent by God to be a vessel of love, well, my Oscar assault bracket just completely fell apart. I mean, if that's how big Willie acts in March, imagine how he reacts in August. <clears throat> Later, on. Gino in San Antonio. All right, Gino. His Oscar assault bracket has been shattered. Matt in L.A. Yo, Matt, you made it in. What's up? The pimp in the box. What is up, Jim Rome? Hey, uh, so I got a take on uh, what happened last night. You know, I've come, I was brought up around some pretty rough and tumble people in a different era where sometimes, you know, hands get thrown. And the epitome of a fake tough guy is the guy that starts throwing hands when he knows that no, that uh, there's going to be no repercussion when somebody's not going to fight back. Everybody knows that Chris Rock is a comedian. Did he tap dance on the edge? Absolutely. But there's history in Will Smith's past, recent past, where he was actually crying and he's been disrespected numerous times by his spouse, yet he never acted on that. So I got it. I lost all respect for dude. And uh, I think a lot of the people that were brought up like myself lost a lot of respect for, for dude. So uh, that's all I got for you, Jim. Outro. Hey, Matt, I appreciate that. Matt in L.A. He is Marcus Williams. Marcus, good to have you back. How are you? Hey, I'm good. How are you guys? Good, you're good. It's good to have you. So let me ask you, I got to know about free agency. If you were to go back, you spent your first five years with the Saints. You had a great thing going there. So what was it like to go into free agency? Were you excited? Were you nervous? Was it something else? Like, what's that like, that whole process? You know, it was a different feeling. You you just don't know what to expect. You don't know if your team wants to, wants to sign you back or if they're going to be able to sign you back, you know, with the cap, calorie, salary cap and all that. But, um, you know, it's just it's, it's a different feeling. You just don't know what's going to happen when that first day hits. Um, but, you know, uh, you know, everything happened and it played out right. And now I'm with the Baltimore Ravens and I'm excited. And, man, I'm excited. All right, so what about that? Like the recruitment process for you and the Ravens, what was it that made you feel like that was the team you wanted to play for? I just see, I just seen the the culture they've had over the years, and once once I got the call from them, it was it was like wow, I they have a great secondary. They they've they've had great you know Hall of Fame type players that come through there, and they and they they built something that I just wanted to be a part of. Um, especially being a defensive player, they they've been known for the defense for a long time, and I and I feel like I'll fit right in going up there with them. Marcus Williams is joining us. Of course, that's a team that's had safeties such as Eric Weddle, Ed Reed in the past. I mean, great defenses, but especially on the back end, what's it mean then for you to be playing safety for the Baltimore Ravens? It, you know, it means a lot. Just just being able to be a part of uh, of this great safety culture and just being able to go out there and, and prove prove myself once again. Uh, I just I just love to be able to have this opportunity because I know a lot of people aren't able to have this opportunity in a in an organization in a franchise like this. So. It's definitely a blessing, and I'm definitely ready to get to work already. You know, Mark, you talked about culture twice already. I'm curious. The Ravens have such a strong identity, especially defensively, and you talk about culture. If you had to sum it up, how would you describe or define what their culture or identity is? 
I just think they're relentless. Their 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 pursuit to the ball, they're they're relentless. They take the ball away, and you just know them for a physical team. And every every time they go up to play, you just you just see them flying around the field. So, just just being able to be a part of something like that, which I already came from in New Orleans, it's you know it's it's definitely somewhere that I feel like I fit right in with, and I'm excited that it's somewhere that I won't have to you know try to be someone who I'm not. You know, Marcus Williams joining us. What do you mean by that? So basically, you know, some, sometimes people will try to change change how you play when you go to other teams. You you just never know. So so me, I feel like I'll just go in and just be able to play the way I play. I already play with going to get the ball, attacking the ball, and and that's that's what they do. And you know, you see Ed Reed going to attack the ball. You see Eric Weddle attacking the ball. Marcus Peters has a lot of takeaways. You see Marlon Humphreys. He's he's knocking the ball up, getting interceptions. So you can see you can see how they play, and you can see their. Uh, they're smart football players as well. No, I get that. And then add to that, add to that list, Chuck Clark. So when you've got Marlon Humphrey, you've got Marcus Peters, you've got Chuck Clark, you join that fight as well. I mean, what's the upside here? Could you make an argument that this is going to be the best secondary in the NFL? You know, I don't, I don't talk too much about it. Uh, I think, I think once we get on the field, once, once we get those games under our belt, you know, our game will speak for itself. Uh, you can't really, you can't really speak too soon on stuff like that. But I feel like. You, there's a great group of guys, and if we come together and we do our job and we stick to what what we know how to do, which is play football, you will, I think we'll be a, a dominant defense for sure. All right, so I hear what you're saying. It's not it's not your job to worry about that. Here's something else that's not your job, and I want to ask you about this. There's been talk that Bobby Wagner might possibly join the Ravens. <laughs> I mean, have you thought about that and how he might fit? Man, I mean that that'll be that'll be a a great addition to a, a defense like this. You know, Bobby is definitely a Hall of Famer in, in my eyes. I've seen him since high school uh, to college and in the pro, and he all, he's always about his business. He's definitely a, he's definitely a role model of mine. I, I look up to him. I've always looked up to him since I was younger, seeing him play. Uh, but um, having him would definitely, you know, elevate any defense because that's the type of player he is. I don't think he took one step back. Uh, at all in his years playing he's still playing at a pro bowl all pro caliber and adding him to any defense especially ours would you know we would take over for sure marcus williams joining us all right then you go to a division that has the likes of joe burrow and now Deshaun watson how much are you looking forward to that challenge i'm, I'm always looking forward to a challenge man it's it's, it's exciting to play against elite caliber players which you do every every week in nfl so just being able to go up against these guys. I played against Deshaun once already. Um, I haven't played against Burrow yet. So it's definitely going to be an exciting year uh, to to play in. Hey, Marcus, if you were to take a step back, like you and I have talked in the past about your journey from Riverside County in the past. Like if you really take a step back for a moment now, what's it feel like to have gone from Riverside County to Utah to New Orleans and now to Baltimore as one of the biggest free agents of the year if you step back and you look at that journey, what kind of thoughts do you have? Uh, I'm just grateful. Um, um, I'm blessed for, for the journey that I've took, and I've always respected the process. I've always respected, you know, just, just, going, through, just going through these phases in life, and, I, and I'm just so, so blessed to be in the situation, to, to be able to play with these different organizations, these teams, because a lot of people aren't able to, to experience this. And, I'm, you know, I'm humble and everything and I'm just I'm just excited that I've able, I've been able to go through this with my family with my friends and 
And, you know, it, it's definitely it's definitely a dream come true for me. You know, when you talk about respect the process, I think people say that and they hear it so often that they it goes in one ear and out the other or they don't get it. I know looking at your career and especially your availability, you're always out there. What is your process that you respect so much? I mean, what is the exact process? Man, I, I really don't take much time off um, with this process. I know sports don't don't last long, so you have to take advantage of of each day, each opportunity. I just got out of the, the weight room and off the field, and uh, you know I'm just I'm just always in my process because there's there's time there's time to rest and there's time to recover it, but there's there's not a lot of time when you're when you're gonna go play. So I need to make sure that I'm ready, I'm available, have my body right. Um, be just be available like that. Availability is definitely very important. Just because you don't want to, you don't want to let your team down. You don't want to go out the game, especially if you're a, a valuable asset. So I make sure that I'm prepared for every every occasion. Um, I'm gonna work my butt off. I'm gonna watch film. I watch film uh, at least three times a week already. While it's the off season, and, and that's not just that's not because you know I'm going to a new team, but that's what I've always done to make sure I have one step ahead of my opponent. So. That process, you you go in, you you take care of your body, you're recovering, you you eat right. That's that's what I do in the off season, in season, just so I'm ready for you know this short career that that all pro athletes have. You know, dude, that is such a great response. So, what about what you eat? What's your approach to nutrition? How do you approach that? What do you do for fuel? Man, I I eat a, I eat a lot of fish, chicken, and and a lot of turkey, and not not too much red meat that much. Uh, a lot of vegetables. It's just I just I just have a balanced diet, really. Um, the the salmon and the potatoes and all that all that stuff to make sure I keep on my weight um, because this, this this is a physical sport, so you have to keep that weight on. And it's just it's it's sometimes you want to you want to get out of it, which I do. I don't I'm not going to be healthy every single single day, but I I do make sure that I'm eating right so that my body is. is able and ready for every single day to go out there and work out to train and to perform when it comes to Sundays. Yeah, dude, you're a Ferrari. You got to be careful what you put in that tank. One last thought. Now, it sounds to me like you are doing mostly football-related things, but but if you want to give yourself a little bit of a break, I know you like to step away and play a little Call of Duty. Now, you posted a video of yourself playing Call of Duty, and somebody on Twitter called you out for being a camper. This is always such a controversy. <laughs> what is your reaction when you hear that? Are you a camper? No, nah, I have a lot. I have a lot of. I have a lot of. Uh, a lot of clips that haven't been posted yet. But I'm not. I'm not always camping. Maybe that clip was a camper, and that probably was my my other trainer who called me a camper. Actually, he was. He, he, that's probably my trainer who said that. Really, and it's funny. Um, but no, nah, I'm, I'm. I'm actually really good at at uh, Call of Duty. I go out there. Uh, I play. I'll, I'll probably play when I get home. Actually, but I'm really good. I stream on Twitch. Uh, at Baby Magic 32, if people want to come watch me, it is. I'm, I'm actually pretty good at it. All right, I like it. The 42nd pick overall in 2017 out of Utah signed that five-year contract with the Ravens earlier this month. A new opportunity, and that is a pretty fierce-looking safety or a secondary. Marcus, appreciate you. Great to have you on the show again, man. Thanks so much. Man, thank you for having me on again. Good night now.